everyone. Welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on February 6th, 2022, during our Sunday evening service. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Have you ever asked a question and the answer just gave you more questions? The answer... (laughs) was not what you were hoping. It didn't settle the issue. It actually complicated the issue. Well, I'm just going to warn you tonight that we're going to raise some questions tonight as we look at the interpretation of this dream that we've been looking at the past several times we've been together. Last week we had our special communion service and uh, took a break from the prophecies of Daniel. But as we come back now to Daniel chapter 7, we're going to see Daniel had some questions, but we're going to see that the answer that he was give, given actually, it does, answer, it does give answers, but it also raises even more questions. And so tonight we are saying and calling this Daniel's dream interpreted because it is the interpretation that's given to us, but please don't think that I'm going to be able to answer all your questions tonight. Uh, I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions ever, right? I mean, if I had all the time in the world, because I don't have all the answers, but God does. And so we come to the word of God to to hear what God does say to us, understanding we need to humble ourselves when we we, uh, say, I don't know. Uh, Sometimes we aren't humble enough to say we don't know, and so we come up with um, uh, answers that may or may not be true. And so uh, we ask that God would protect us from making that mistake tonight, but Uh, We want to look at the interpretation of this incredible, terrifying dream that Daniel is given, not so that we would be terrified, but so that we would be comforted, but also motivated for the mission that God has given to us. Now, while you're turning to Daniel 7, uh, if you're still turning there, let me remind you what we've said over the last several times together in this particular dream in this particular chapter Daniel chapter 7 marks the shift from the historical events that do have prophetic significance some of them are prophetic images that are given to us prophetic stories but they're actual historical events now we're moving into actual historical dreams that David was given prophecies that he was given and so certainly these are prophetic I mean certainly they're historic in the sense that they actually happened but there are also prophetic in the in the sense that these are dreams and visions and the reason that we spent so much time last year walking through the types of prophecy walking through prophecies in the scripture so that we can understand how God reveals prophecy to us why we have prophecy why God uses prophecy is so that we can begin to apply some of those lessons to this very complicated very scary passage of scripture and section of the scriptures Daniel uh, seven and beyond. Now, this first vision that Daniel receives here uh, in chapter seven in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed, and he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds 
of the heavens strove upon the great sea, and four, beasts, four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I beheld, and so remember this is one dream, but this is visions that are recurring within that dream, just as when you have a dream, many times the, the, the dream changes and shifts, and all of a sudden you're in a, another place, and, and Things change dramatically. So this is what Daniel's experiencing. It's, it's all one dream, but there are separate visions within the dream. And so behold, another beast, a second like to a bear. And then verse 6, after this, I beheld in low another like a leopard, which have had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. Beast, the beast also uh, had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly and it had great iron teeth it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it and it was diverse it was very different it wasn't like all of the kingdoms that came before it It wasn't just a succession there's something about this beast was very different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns i considered the horns and behold there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. I beheld till the thrones were cast down or actually a better translation would be were set up. The thrones were brought down from heaven, but they were set up here on the earth. And the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were open. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain. Amen. Hallelujah. And his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now, let's stop there for a moment. We saw over the last couple of weeks, just I'm just going to go through this very quickly by way of review. We saw that the wind in Scripture is the word ruach, which is translated as spirit, breath, wind, depending on context. And here it appears to symbolize the spirit realm colliding with and manipulating the physical world whenever we see this idea of four winds in scripture oftentimes it specifically deals not only with the universality of the event but also the fact that it is the spiritual realm which is causing those events to occur that is interacting with colliding with manipulating the physical realm and so the wind is the spirit realm colliding with the sea which we saw and said uh, uh, represents the wickedness that is governing the Gentile nations in particular, the world at large. And so the spirits are causing conflict in the world. Now, that should not surprise us if we know our New Testament, because we're told many times in the New Testament, we're told 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory 
of Jesus Christ, the glory of the gospel. He's actively working. And we see in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, that while we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins, we are, because of that, we're born into a system that Paul describes as the course of this world, which is governed, he says, by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is at work and the sons of disobedience. And so Paul very clearly understood the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual wickedness in high places with which we as believers are called to wrestle against and to stand against and to occupy until the Lord returns for his church. So we walked then through the four beasts, the winged lion, grounded and converted. We saw represented uh, two things. All of these beasts represent a kingdom, but also uh, the angel who we'll get to in just a second, who interprets this dream, identifies these as not just kingdoms, but as a specific uh, person or entity who is governing the kingdom. And so we see here Babylon represented specifically by Nebuchadnezzar. We see in the devouring bear Medo-Persia who is represented either by Cyrus or Darius. Uh, No point in debating that. God knows. And then number uh, three, the conquering four-headed winged leopard, which is clearly Greece and clearly Alexander the Great, who was um, so effective because why was Alexander the Great so effective in what he did? Was it because he was just a military mind? Was it because he had better weapons? Or was it because... Verse 6, dominion was given to it because he was allowed to have that power. Certainly, he was allowed by God. But we also know, because these are monstrous entities, we know what is revealed to us in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And the devil was able to take Jesus up to a high mountain and somehow with his immense supernatural power, which is unmatched among all of the created beings, but is no match for the Creator's power. But He's able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in one moment, in one time, in one place. And He says, Jesus, I will give all of this to You. It's Mine to give. The glory and the power of the nations is, is Mine to give. I can give it to whoever I want, and I'll give it to You if You bow to Me. And Jesus said, Get thee behind Me, Satan. I'm not going to bow to you. I'm not going to bow the knee to you. You're a created being. I'm the son of God. My father is the one who is worthy of all worship. And, of course, because of the humility of Jesus Christ, because of his obedience, Jesus is now given the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow to the glory of God the Father. So Alexander was empowered supernaturally to do what he did. Make no mistake, it's not just about who has the most weapons and who has the best army. The spiritual world, and we're going to see this even more as we go farther into this book, the spiritual world is colliding with, is manipulating. There are principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual weakness and high places. Whether or not you believe in a literal, physical, human Illuminati, there is a supernatural Illuminati governed by Satan himself at the top that is orchestrating and uh, collaborating and running this system that we see dominating the world today that we are called to stand against and to occupy until he comes. And so that brings us to the the diverse beast, the horned beast, dreadful and terrible 
and strong exceedingly, which is the empire of Rome. Remember, we're correlating this with the vision given to Nebuchadnezzar that God allowed Daniel to have the interpretation of that first dream of the great image of the four kingdoms. And that is the world as it's seen by the world itself, a great image, precious gems. But God is now revealing to this same prophet the world kingdoms as he sees them, which are monstrosities and uh, hybrid monstrosities and, and, and ferocious beasts. And so we see this terrible, strong, exceedingly kingdom, but then we see the dominion of the Son of Man, and it's Jesus Christ who will break the power of these kingdoms. It's not a president or former president who's going to ride in on a white horse and save the day. It is the white horse that's coming from heaven that's going to bring the Savior. Okay, it's, He's the one that we hope, and now, now we need to pray for righteous leaders, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray that God would raise up uh, leaders who will do His will and execute His justice, but our hope is not in those leaders. Our hope is in the King of Kings. And so we talked about, last time we were together, the thrones that are established, which are for us, the Christians, who will rule and reign with the King of Kings. The books are opened in this, the second of three great judgments, we know, and we again, I'm not going to reteach this tonight, but we talked about the fact that there are there is the judgment of the church. Peter says judgment begins with the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the fate of those who are judged after us, essentially? So the church is judged. We then are rewarded and crowned, and then we are part of, we are the ones sitting on these thrones. We are ruling and reigning with Jesus as is prophesied. And this is the second great judgment revealed in Revelation 21, uh, 20, verses 1 through 6. And then there is a Third and final called the Great White Judgment, uh, the Great White Throne Judgment, uh, also recorded in uh, Revelation chapter 20 and in uh, Matthew uh, 25. And so the, the Ancient of Days judges, the beast is burned, all his boasts are burned with him, and the Son of Man reigns forever and ever. Now, look with me at verse um, let's pick it up. Where did we leave off? I think we, let's pick it up in verse 12. As concerning the rest of the beasts. They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. So as we said last time, here we have the Ancient of Days, Jesus Christ, but he's also distinct. He's one with the Ancient of Days. He is the Ancient of Days, but he's also distinct from the Ancient of Days. You say, preacher, explain that. I just confess it by faith. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. That's, that's all I can say. I don't understand it. And if I could understand it, that would mean that somebody invented it. Okay? If God fits inside your brain, if God's understandable, that's just evidence that Somebody created that God. God is bigger than our brains. And the Trinity is the uh, ultimate example of that. And so the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. They brought Him near before Him. And there was given Him dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all people, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Nevertheless, Daniel is not there yet. And you're not there yet either. And I'm not there yet either. History has not reached this point. This is still prophetic. This is still in the future. And so while we praise and sing to the King who's coming again, and while we are focusing our hope on the, on the day, then we will be like Him because we will see Him and we'll see Him as He is. 
And that hope purifies us here and now just as He is pure. Nevertheless, we still live in the in-between. We still live in the interlude. And so what does verse 15 and 16 say? I, Daniel, was grieved. He's given this incredible vision of the end where we win because he wins, because he is the victorious one. Nevertheless, Daniel's living under a godless king named Belshazzar who is profane and blasphemous and he lacks even the wisdom of his grandfather. He is reckless and mad. And he is grieved by this dream in my spirit, in the midst of my body and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by. And so we don't understand. I, I don't want to get off in, into a tangent here tonight. I, I, well, I do, but I'm not going to. OK, but we don't really understand what's happening in, sometimes in, the, in these in this dreamscape. If I if I could use that term, borrow that term uh, that the prophets enter into where they are not where they are dreaming, but they're not just dreaming. There's some kind of interface with the supernatural realm. And so there is an actual spiritual being who we would identify as an angel who is in this dream, probably an angel, certainly a messenger of God that Daniel is interacting with in this dream. And so he comes near unto them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of these things. Now, let's read the interpretation. But I just want you to understand that this dream did cause Daniel distress. Even when we have the hope that God's word gives us, you're still going to have stress. You're still going to have the conflict of actually living it out in your life. There's still going to be the tension of putting what you know and believe into practice. That's why it's called faith. That's why we have to walk by faith, not by sight, Paul says. That's why he says that we are, yes, we are groaning because we're longing for what is coming, but we haven't got it yet. In Romans 8, he says, listen, if we had it, it wouldn't be hope. Hope is for what you don't. It's, it's what you are going to have, but it's what you don't have yet. And so there is grief and there is tension here. But notice the difficulties of the dream's interpretation. So let me read the interpretation to you, and then we're going to walk back through it together. So I came near. Here's the interpretation, verse 17. This is from God's messenger in the dream to the dreaming prophet Daniel. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. So these are men, but they are also representative of their kingdom. So there is a duality here in the sense of what these dreams represent. Remember, when we studied prophecy in general, we saw that God is not limited to this or that. It is not either or in prophecy. Many times it is both and. And so there is both a literal and a symbolic element many times in prophecy. And the reason that God does that is so when he symbolically fulfills a prophecy that has not yet been literally fulfilled, it's not so that we go, oh, well, God doesn't have to literally fulfill it then. God doesn't have to literally keep his promise then because he symbolically did. No, no, no. That's not why God does that. God does that so that we will know that the literal is, is all the more certain. Because he is symbolically fulfilled to remind us of what is literally going to come, okay? So we have this 
uh, in this dream, we have uh, four beasts, which are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. Now, isn't this fascinating? What is he really concerned about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've seen the king of kings. I've seen how it all ends. I know that we win. But what are we going to have to go through until we get there? Isn't that, what, isn't that what we struggle with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know Jesus is coming again. And we need to remind ourselves and refocus our hearts and, and constantly be looking for that, that. Be preparing for that day. Be diligent to present yourselves. Study to show thyselves approved unto God. A workman who needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth, Paul tells Timothy, as he is about to die. Get ready for what's coming. Nevertheless, we live in the here and now. And Daniel wants to know, what are we going to have to go through until we get there? And so he says, I would know the truth, verse 19, of the fourth beast, which was diverse. It was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured break in pieces, and stamp the residue with his feet. Now, I want you to remember what Nebuchadnezzar's dream revealed to us, that these different kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, are represented by different metals. Notice that this beast is composed of iron, and it has nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns... Wait a second. Ten horns that were in its head and of the others which came up and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said... The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Now, that hasn't happened yet, folks. OK. Rome was powerful. Rome was mighty, but Rome did not, number one, control the entire world at the same time because it was limited to what you learn, I'm sure, in, in elementary and high school is limited to that area in Europe and into the Middle East and northern Africa. It was limited. Um, uh, uh, Asia Minor. It was limited in that scope. This kingdom is going to control at one point the entire world. And it's not going to bring order and it's not going to bring justice and it's not going to bring courts and it's not going to bring one um, uh, uniting peace. It's not going to you know, build roads. It's going to destroy all that. It's going to bring it all down. That's not what Rome did. Rome was destroyed itself, or was it? It was changed, certainly. It was different. It exists today differently than all of these other kingdoms. But it will, in the future, wipe out, destroy the whole earth. The whole earth is going to be ravaged by this kingdom. Verse 24, the ten horns out, uh, out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. 
And another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. So let's hit the pause button for a moment. Many Christians get caught up in this idea. Who is the Antichrist? Who is the little horn? And while I would not agree with everything that Irenaeus wrote way back in the second century, we're talking decades after John received the revelation and recorded the revelation and closed the canon of Scripture. Decades after that, Irenaeus is writing uh, in his Against Heresies uh, work, which much of which has still survived to this day. You can uh, find it online generally for free. It's, it's not easy reading, okay? And again, I'm not saying that I- Irenaeus was not an apostle. He was not infallible. He made mistakes. But one thing that he said that I completely agree with is he said to the church, stop trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. The Antichrist cannot rise until after the ten kings rise. It is pointless to try to figure out who the Antichrist is before you even know who the ten kings are. Only when you find out who the ten kings are can you begin to figure out who is the, who is the little horn. Now again, I, I'm going to contradict myself here, Lord willing, in a few weeks. I'm going to give you uh, some scripture that uh, may reveal who the identity of the Antichrist is or who we can zero in on and give you some ideas from Scripture as who that could possibly be. But we won't know for certain until the, ki- the ten kings rise and which one of those horns is little at first. He's not going to seem like he is the Antichrist. He's not going to seem like he is the one. That's why, by the way, Revelation gives us a way, gives the the, the believers the saints who are living through the tribulation who get saved after the rapture he gives god gives them a way to identify very quickly and it's the gematria of the number of his name the number of his name will add up to 666 and that's how they'll be able to know which of the 10 kings is the antichrist before he rises to dominance but the ten kings are going, to, are going to rule together, and then one of them is going to come up, and he's going to take out three of them. We'll come back to that, Lord willing, in a few weeks as we get farther into these prophecies. But I just want to point that out to you now. I want to put that seed in your, in your brain for right now. Thus the fourth beast shall devour the horror. Ten, ten kings, verse 24. Another shall arise. Verse 25. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. That's, by the way, three and a half. Three and a half years, which is half of a seven that we're going to talk about when we get to chapter nine. OK, we're going to come back to this. I'm, like I said, I told you at the beginning, I'm not going to answer all your questions tonight. I'm not going to answer all of your questions ever, but I'm not going to we're not going to get everything in tonight. But for, there's going to be a period for three and a half years for those who are faithful to Jesus in the tribulation, those who are saved after the rapture, when they will, by the way, this is how we know that this is not us. Because Jesus Christ made a promise. Did you know Jesus keeps all his promises? Jesus said to the church, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the Antichrist is going to prevail against these saints for three and a half years. They will not have the sealing that we have. They will not have the protection. Now, some will be sealed, 144,000. I'm, I'm getting way, way ahead of myself. 
But these saints do not have the protection, do not have the promise that you and I have. That's why people need to be saved now. That's, not, that's why we don't wait. Oh, well, if, if the rapture comes and I'm still here, then I'll trust in Jesus. Friend, you do not have the promises in the tribulation that we have today. Today is the day of salvation. So, he will wear out the saints of the Most High, and he will think to change the times and laws. He's going to know this book better than you and I know it. Do you know who knows this book better than I do already? Satan knows this book better than I do already. Satan used this book to try to trick Jesus. And it's why we need to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us as we study this book. Because the devil's going to try to use it too. So we need to be in this book, but we also need to be praying as we're in this book. As Paul often tells the church, we've talked about it in, in the, our study of Ephesians, that we're praying for wisdom, that we're praying for understanding, that we would be able to rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul told one of the pastors of Ephesus, Timothy. And so the judgment shall sit. He's going to try to change the laws. He's going to know the Bible. He's going to know what God has promised, and he's going to try to change it. He's going to try to reverse the prophecies. He's going to try to subvert. He's going to see the prophecies. He's going to go, here's how I can break God's promises. We see that in Revelation chapter 12. Satan's been doing that for a long time. We see a dragon in Revelation 12. When, when the Son of God is born, we see the dragon is right there. And we see the prophecy that that wicked King Herod fulfilled when he slaughtered all of those babies trying to kill one baby. He slaughtered them all. But God knew what was going to come. And so when God sent Jesus Christ to earth, remember what Luke 2 says? There was a quote-unquote host of heaven. Do you know what that term host means? It's a military term. God sent an army of angels that was an army of angels that we, uh, we celebrate at Christmas time, the host of heaven. No, no, that was an army. That wasn't just a choir. That was an army. Why did God send an army of angels to, to watch over his son? Because there, Revelation 12 says there was a dragon trying to get any opportunity he could to destroy Jesus when he was just a baby. But God had his angels watch over him. The Antichrist is going to keep trying and he's going to keep failing as Satan has failed for thousands and thousands of years to try to break God's promises. But the judgment shall sit, verse 26, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. And as for me, Daniel, my cognitions much troubled me and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel says, I woke up and this dream stayed with me for a long time, but I didn't tell anybody about it until at the end of his life, he's writing this down. And he says, way back when Belshazzar, way back before Medo-Persia took over, way back when Belshazzar was king, I had this dream. And it's, it, it bothered me. And I didn't say anything then. I wrote it down. And I meditated on it, and I really, I came back to this, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, but I haven't said anything until now, and we get to hear about this dream. Now, let's talk about some difficulties of this mysterious interpretation, because I told you this answer is going to give us even more questions. 
Tell me about the fourth beast. Well, we read about the fourth beast. I've got some questions. Here's my questions. Number one, and I'm just going to give you uh, four of them tonight, relatively speaking, just four. Uh, There may be a couple compound questions in here, but if the winged lion represents Nebuchadnezzar or ancient Babylon, who was, and Nebuchadnezzar was already dead. So how can the angel say that Babylon will rise out of the earth if it's already in decline? And when Daniel writes this, it's already gone. But Daniel has this dream at the, at the, as the kingdom is not about to rise, as it's about to, to fall. And Medo-Persia is about to take over. And yet the angel says, uh, this kingdom is, a, is a going to arise in the future. How can it be said that it shall arise if it's already risen? Number two, if the beasts represent four kings, that's verse 17, and if these are just historic kingdoms, then look at verses 11 and 12 again and explain this to me. Then these men assembled, or, whoop, wrong chapter. Turn two pages instead of one. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Notice verse 12. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So if these are just historical kingdoms, if these are just historical kings, if this is just about Nebuchadnezzar, just about Cyrus or Darius, just about... Alexander the Great, they're all dead. So how can these beasts be said they've had their power taken away, but they're going to outlive the Antichrist? Your head hurting yet? So I'm going to try to let you know where my mind is swimming, and, and I'm not Daniel, and Daniel's head was swimming. So I'm not, I'm not this, is, this is speculation, not revelation, okay? But I'm just looking at the revelation, and here's what I'm wrestling with. Um, Will history repeat itself? Is God telling us that history is going to repeat itself before the end of days? We've seen in the past that prophecy follows a pattern. That you have Elijah prophesied before the great, uh, great and terrible day of the Lord. It's how the Old Testament ends. It's how the Old Covenant ends. Elijah's going to come before the day of the Lord and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers and the hearts of the sons. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John are with Jesus. They see Jesus in his glory revealed. They see Moses and Elijah in a vision. And they're coming down the mountain. And Peter says, Jesus, why do people take that prophecy literally? Why do they say Elijah has to come? And Jesus doesn't say it's not literal. Jesus says, Elijah is coming. That's the literal. But he has already come in the form of John the Baptist. That's the symbolic. So there's a symbolic fulfillment in John the Baptist. Jesus came the first time. John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way for the Lord. Jesus is coming again. And I can say on the authority of God's word, Elijah, who never died, he was carried away in a chariot of fire, will come back. And when he's here, 
and people see it, and especially the Jewish people, there's going to be revival because God's word says there will be revival. I believe when we're going up, he's coming down. I think we're going to pass him on the way. There goes Elijah. Will history repeat itself? Is this a picture of a literal historical kingdoms, but they're also symbolic of what's going to happen in the end times? Is God telling us that there will be three superpowers in the world before the power of Rome is restored and the ten kings rise? One represented by Babylon, one represented by Medo-Persia, one represented by Greece, but not necessarily those kingdoms. You say, well, I think you're stretching it. Well, Revelation 17 and 18 say that in the end of days, Mystery Babylon is going to be in power, and it's going to be riding the power of the beast. So the woman, the, the great whore of Babylon, who represents, who will represent Babylon in the end of days, is going to be pictured as riding on the beast. So Babylon is not the kingdom of, of Rome. Babylon is the power that is riding the Antichrist beast. Now, it might be Rome. It might, could be the, the, the whore of Rome. It could be. But it is distinct from the Antichrist kingdom. It's distinct from the Antichrist himself, at least, we could say. Again, lots of speculation, lots of wrestling. I don't promise that I have all the answers for you. But is it, is it not interesting? Jeremiah 15 and 51 talk about the destruction of, of what is a nation that is called the daughter of Babylon. And I, I promise you we'll come back to that, Lord willing, if, we have, if God doesn't come back first. Uh, we'll talk about, mis- about the daughter of Babylon, this nation, this prophetic nation that's talked about more than almost any end times nation in the world. Jeremiah 50 and 51 is just one place where there are many, many, many descriptions given of this end time nation that God says is the daughter of Babylon. Are there going to be three, power, three superpowers? H- how many superpowers would you say are in the world today? Just, just raising the question. Could God be pointing us to the spiritual entities that empower these world rulers? When we talk about these four kings who are going to outlive the beast, he's certainly not talking just about four human beings. So is he literally talking about four principalities, three, three who will outlive the Antichrist, who will endure beyond him because maybe they're not human beings at all maybe these are spiritual beings you say do you have any scripture to back that up we'll jump over just for a moment to chapter 10 daniel chapter 10 we're getting a little ahead of ourselves but i want to show you something here in chapter 10 daniel is having a a a conversation with an angel of the lord not the angel of the lord but an angel of god And the angel says to Daniel, don't you know where I come unto thee? And now I will return to the fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Now, remember, this is given to him. This prophecy is given. Medo-Persia is about to come on as the dominant power. And then after them, the prince of or the, the power of Greece. But notice 
there are two entities here identified as princes. By the way, Satan is called a prince in the New Testament, the prince of the power of the air. He's the, he's the principality. Principality is a term for a fallen angel in the scriptures. There is a fallen angel, Daniel chapter 10 reveals to us, that controls Grecia. There is a fallen angel that controls Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Is he talking, is he telling us and pointing to us that behind these beasts is a spiritual entity? See, we have a very minimalistic view of Satan's kingdom. We think Satan, we think the Antichrist, and sometimes we think the false prophet. But when you dive into Scripture and begin to see these false gods as actual spiritual entities, as the Apostle Paul says they are, as Moses says they are, as the sons of Korah say they are, as Jesus himself, when he identified Beelzebub as Satan himself, we begin to see that the Bible has a whole lot of principalities in their names revealed to us. And some of them are specifically given to govern and empower either a kingdom or a specific world ruler. Maybe these, maybe these fallen angels actually possess and indwell as Satan possessed and indwelled Judas Iscariot. I don't know. Again, I'm, this is speculation, not revelation, but I am speculating based on the revelation that we have. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Those aren't just flowery phrases that Paul was thinking up to try to uh, paint some kind of picture to motivate the church. That is revelation. That reveals to us why the world is in the state it is. Because the God of this age has everything organized. But the power is going to be temporary because the Son of Man is coming back to take it from him. And I want to close tonight with just a reminder of the dominance of the Lord Most High. What is clear and certain is that Jesus is coming again. The Son of Man is coming again. I can't read these verses too much. Let me read them to you one more time. Verses 9 and 10. The thrones were cast down. The Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand, thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. We will be there standing with him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Verses 13, 14. I, behold, I saw in the night visions and behold, listen, Daniel says, don't miss this. One like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Jesus quoted this passage of Scripture referring to himself, and it's why they ripped their clothes and wanted him crucified. Because they knew what he was claiming. They just didn't believe it. But then three days later, he walked out of that tomb. And they still didn't believe it. They tried to hide it. But see, their hearts were hard because they knew what that meant. So the question is, Jesus is coming again. He's coming to reign. Do you know him? Are you going to be standing with him when he sets up these thrones? Are you going to be sitting in the throne on, the, on one of the thrones with him? Or are you going to be standing in front being judged? Or will you not make it that far and be in the final third, third and final judgment, the great white throne judgment? Are you serving him now? The one who died for you. The one who purchased your forgiveness. 
the one who purchased the forgiveness of sins with his own blood, the one who rose again and gives you eternal life that he has proven he can give you because he walked out of the tomb. He saved you by his grace. You received it through faith. If you are a believer in Jesus, you will be him, be with him on that day. And so we need to be living like it this day and every day between now and then. Because there is a day coming, Psalm 118, where we will say, this is the day. Speaking of the return of Jesus Christ, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Would you stand as we close? I'm going to ask Andy to come just for a moment. I want to give a time of invitation. We're going to stand for prayer, uh, those of you who are able. And then if you have a need, just uh, the altar is open, but let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in these promises. We thank you for the victory that you have already won and that you have revealed to us through your prophet. And God, I pray that we would be motivated by this truth. That you will judge all the wickedness of the world. You will set up your eternal kingdom and you invite all of us to be part of that. So, God, we are here either in need of that forgiveness or we are here already receiving it. But, God, in need of living in response to the victory that you've already won. Not afraid of the devil, but with the fear of the Lord, fearless against the enemy. We love and thank you. Yes, it's all in Jesus' name. Amen. I just ask you to stand where you are, bow your head. If you have a need, the altar's open. We have our deacons here who are here to pray with anyone who needs prayer. But maybe you just have some business you need to do with God right where you're standing. Tonight is the night. Today is the day to do that work and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring that discernment, to bring that conviction, to bring that change that needs to occur in your heart and your life. Father, again, you are an awesome God, a God sovereign over all of creation, victorious over the evil one. God, we long for the day when we will see you step on the serpent's head and you will set up your eternal kingdom. Father, help us in the here and now, in the struggle, as we live under the under the kingdom of darkness God that we are here as missionaries we're here as lights to in this dark world God help us to have the faith to walk in the light to be the light you've called us to be and to share that light with a lost and dying world we love you we thank you we ask this all in Jesus name amen God bless you thank you for being here tonight Lord when we see you on Wednesday night you are dismissed That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., 
Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.